0: Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Did you know the best seeds for your garden don't come from the nursery? In fact, the seeds that will create the most robust and delicious fruits and vegetables come directly from your garden. This is because they are uniquely adapted to your growing conditions, better than anything you can buy from a fancy catalog or website. Through the magic of seed saving, it is quite possible to have the garden of your dreams. The best part is saving your own seeds is surprisingly easy and fun. With a bit of instruction, anyone can become a seed-saving superstar. Let us teach you how in our free seed-saving webinar. Just text SEEDS to 33444 to sign up or visit SeedSavingHacked.org for more information. That's SEEDS to 33444 or visit SeedSavingHacked.org. Today on the Urban Farm podcast, we have Petra Page Mann of Fruition Seeds to talk about her experience with organic seeds. Raised in the Finger Lakes of New York, Petra spent over a decade traveling the world studying agriculture before returning to her home to start her own farm, Fruition Seeds, in 2012. She has worked for one of the smallest seed companies in the world and also one of the largest. She passionately grows, breeds, saves, shares, and eats the seeds of certified organic, regionally adapted vegetables, flowers, and herbs. If she's not farming, she is singing, on her bike, hunting mushrooms, or sharing a feast with a friend. Welcome to the show today, Petra.
2: Why, thank you. It's my pleasure.
0: Absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now?
2: Absolutely. It's Rather funny to say now, I'm 33 years young, Mm -hmm. and it's easy in retrospect to see how there's this, you know, all these dots, and here's how I connected them, and I just want to say from the outset that there's lots of dots, and I'm still connecting them, and if there's any pattern, it's hilarious, ironic, and maybe a little bit intentional, but mostly just Marvelous, And I have a lot of people um, to thank. Wow. So I started saving seeds when I was a little girl uh-huh. here in the Finger Lakes, in Naples, in my hometown, 10 minutes from where I currently am speaking with you. And my father always had this big, beautiful garden. Mm-hmm. And so I helped him plant seeds. And every year we would save a few seeds as well. And I didn't think much of it as a child It was just something that we did. We also climbed mountains and we went to big museums and we ate really good food, and I took all of these things for granted. And so my first seed saving experiences were just happenstantial as a child. And in high school, I knew very clearly that I was. not going to college anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And I was really ready to get out in the world, and the more wild, the better. So I started initially right out of high school working for places like the Adirondack Mountain Club and the Colorado 14ers Initiative and building amazing trails in amazing wilderness. And, you know, especially ironic, just up above tree line. 16,000 feet up in the Colorado Rockies in mm-hmm. the most exquisite wilderness I've ever been in. And we're eating rich crackers and processed cheese that isn't going to mold in the months that it's not being refrigerated mm-hmm. in my presence.
3: Right. And
2: all of this hyper industrialized food in the most wild beautiful places and so my little 18 year old self was like you know i don't know if this is a great fit (laughs) (laughs) not quite right so (laughs) that's when i realized that agriculture was actually this pretty profound intersection of all of these passions that i have it gets me outside and listening to the birds and exploring like all of the incredible flora and fauna of our ecosystems Mm -hmm. on a macro level and on a Mm -hmm. micro level and I'm eating the best food on the planet and I get to connect with other people that are valuable in my personal life and in my ecosystem, in my economy well, agriculture, let's talk. So I started working for lots of really small scale super diverse certified organic farms and really loved it. And just because I had always sowed seeds and saved seeds simultaneously, I the first two years, three years farming, um, even though seed saving wasn't at all a part of the larger mission of the farms I was on, I saved seeds because I didn't know what else to do. And That's that what? was a darn delicious tomato. Yeah. So let's save those seeds. And after three years of Living in different beautiful places Around the country and around the world Farming In a very diverse le- Learning about bees and weaving baskets And growing strawberries and vegetables And how to milk cows And make amazing yogurt And how to butcher chickens like, I was like, oh, you know It all kind of comes down To seed for me like, Every question I found myself asking mm-hmm. Was really deep at the root of that question like how does it relate to genetic diversity and the resilience that comes through that diversity or lack of diverse lack of resilience that comes from that genetic diversity and so I started working for Don Kipping Seven Seeds Farm
3: oh, yeah. and
2: now Siskiyou Seeds um so perhaps you know from uh Phil and Bell's, the the seed school oh yes This amazing character Absolute Watershed human being (laughs) And so It was a privilege to spend Some seasons on his farm And surrounded by His not only seed saving knowledge And wisdom but his interest In permaculture, his interest In just biodynamics And just being a really creative Resilient and super Fun person So he was really this midwife of, like, bringing my seed passion to full fruition, and, ah. um, and so, yeah, I threw on threw in the towel on milking goats <laughs> 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 and doing just about anything else, which is not exactly true, but I was really focusing all of my energy on seeds, and, and so I, I decided to move back to the Finger Lakes in... 2010, I'm really interested in like, if you can keep your passions and energy local over the long term, like travel by all means, but if you come from a place and have some rich roots nourishing those roots is like, such, such a gift to yourself yeah. and your community in the world, so I decided to return to the Finger Lakes of New York and it was really fun I worked for Bijo for a year, which is this uh, company in Holland that is the third largest seed company in the world. And we all you know, know Monsanto has a bad rap, but there's plenty of other companies that are doing plenty of less than savory things. And Bijou has a really nice um, multiplicity of they have lots of levels of, of being engaged in the seed world. Uh-huh. Um, but they they have their East Coast headquarters are a half hour from us here in Naples, so I spent a season with them uh, managing their trials. Oh, and nice. uh, was thoroughly, thoroughly learned so much and was thoroughly galvanized that regional seed companies and regional seed saving and sharing seeds on a more um, bioregional level is really important and really going to play a huge role in humans being able to continue to persist as humans on planet Earth. Uh, And I spent a couple of seasons, a couple semesters studying genetics at Cornell as well. Oh, nice. I was very fortunate to talk myself into just taking some classes and not being in any formal, enrolled in any formal program. I didn't fit into their genetics (laughs) or any kind of program. And but, I developed some really rich relationships with um, some really amazing professors, mm-hmm. and learned a great deal. So also, when I was in Ithaca, i was went out dancing one night and proceeded to meet Matthew Goldfarb. And um, other women like meet men. At a year later, there's a child involved, and I happened to meet Matthew, and a year, less than a year later, we had an LLC called Fruition seed and, <laughs> and <Nice. laughs> I had been dreaming for seven years at that point of like having a seed company of my own, and, um, and Matthew had been in agriculture for 20 years, and had all wow. of this incredible experience, and grew up with i'm brian campbell of uprising seeds one of my great seed heroes so as soon as i found out that he knew brian campbell i was like oh no <laughs> <laughs>
0: within
2: 20 seconds of meeting matthew it's like oh
0: hold I on hold on hold on and, and, and you met him in a bar
2: <laughs> i met him in a bar yeah which is hilarious because oh, oh, wow any time in bars <laughs> right <laughs> but we met dancing in a bar and a year less than a year later we had um, fruition seeds Nice. and so that was the end of 2012 that fruition seeds um, came into the world and we are focused on growing organic seeds and regionally adapting mm-hmm. those seeds to thrive in the short seasons of the northeast and, and northern climates in general yeah. so we're really we're, and we collaborate constantly with Cornell University, with over a dozen local organic farmers, with other school groups, with food banks, with basically anyone who is really serious about food and food systems uh-huh. and has a need that our abundance can fill. Um, nice. So we're, we're endlessly, excuse me, jumping out of bed every day to be working with chefs and to be working with endless the endless layers of people interested, engaged, and invested in our food system, which yeah. is basically all of us. Right. And as more and more people are becoming aware, it's. I can't imagine, as for all the chaos of the 21st century, I'll totally take it for how interconnected we are and yeah. how we all have this sense of yeah. significance in connecting yeah. and doing what we love.
0: Oh, there you go. So you've mentioned a couple of times, Petra, this whole notion of bioregional seeds. Tell us about them and why are that why is that important?
2: <laughs> so I'm a little biased why bioregional is important. And here's part of how I think about it. I grew up in the Finger Lakes of upstate New York, thinking that there's four seasons, that there's very clearly spring and then there's summer. That's followed by winter uh, with fall in between where all the leaves fall off the trees and there are very distinct plants of this place. And as I travel around the country and around the world, I'm consistently blown away by the diversity of plants and animals and life on this planet. Mm -hmm. And so as we travel from different places, sometimes even during the finger lakes, you know, I'm in a valley over 1,000 feet above me on the top of the hillsides are dramatically different plants. Yeah. We have four different farms. Each of our farms have totally different soils, have totally different microclimates. Mm-hmm. To say nothing of what is in northern New York or at my father's house in Kentucky or my mother's house in Utah. You know, so the plants have adapted to every ecosystem on this planet, and they're constantly challenged to continue doing it even better than the last generation. They have no choice. Mm -hmm. And if human beings are going to continue to persist on this planet, um, it's going to be because we can surround ourselves with the plants that can do the same. Whether it's food plants Mm -hmm. or what we clothe ourselves in, the medicine, everything around us, including us, needs to be of place. And we have all of these fascinating buffers in our lives now in the 21st century, mostly having to do with petroleum, that allow us to think that, you know, it's January, and there are three feet of snow on the ground. And, wow, I can get vine-ripened tomatoes at the grocery (laughs) store. Right. And, And it's amazing, and I'm so grateful, and I'm so grateful to jump out of bed every day and act as if I live on a finite planet and that this ecosystem immediately surrounding me mm-hmm. is only resilient as the genetic diversity that is the backbone of its resilience and so I, I save seeds as if my life depended on it and yeah. as if our bioregion um, has its limitations right. and its assets and so our disease resistance is, what we're selecting for in terms of disease resistance here in the Northeast, uh-huh. is fundamentally different than the disease resistance my father needs in Kentucky, and totally different from our friends in the Pacific Northwest, and you guys in the Southwest. Yeah. And to say nothing else of where most other seeds, are, people are growing, And the vast majority of the seeds on this planet, seeds have gone from a commons in the last 10,000 years to a commodity in the last century. Mm. And as a commodity, any industrial process follows the path of least resistance. And one of the things that looks like in the seed industry is the vast majority of seeds grown and sown on this planet are saved in very arid, very warm climates that are very conducive for seed production on a massive industrial scale. So that's great for people that live in Central California. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And anywhere else, you have seeds that are good enough, but you probably have never actually sown a local seed. So in the same way that if you've never eaten a fresh head of lettuce out of your garden
3: mm-hmm.
2: of course what you find in a grocery store is good enough.
3: Yes, but of course.
2: Once <laughs> but uh, once you have a sense and get that reference point, it opens up this whole new world. Yeah. And so I'm I'm really looking forward to um seeing in my lifetime how regional adaptation plays a role in our food systems, in our seed systems, in our economies, and in our culture.
0: So what happens to a seed? So if you send me one of your seeds, you're, you're in upstate New York, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, the seeds are gonna grow here, right? Absolutely. So what happens to that seed when I, I get your packet of seeds here and I start adapting it to my area? What are the kinds of things that can happen?
2: I'm personally not qualified to say anything can happen, and I've learned a lot in my life that Uh my imagination is exceedingly limited, so the more open my imagination can be, the better off I am and the whole world will be, but it really depends, of course, which is kind of annoying of an answer, but here's the thing, there are so many... Fruition Seeds offers over 350 varieties of vegetables, herbs, and flowers, Uh all regionally adapted to the Northeast. And a great deal, they're all going to sprout in Tucson. And some of them are truly going to thrive in Tucson. Others of them are going to be like, well, I don't know. We can give it a try and they'll do it. Others of them will just not get that far before they just give up the ghost. Yeah. The ones that are going to do really well are things like peppers, tomatoes, mm-hmm. corn, things that came from in, in their deep ancestral memories of being alive on planet Earth. They spend most of their time alive in the tropics or in the neotropics, so they have this innate sense of, okay, we can do this. Um, they can, It's easier for them to revert back to their ancestral climates. Um, than others, and, and also in terms of and so it all oh, it very much depends case by case uh, but overall as as you can see by our industrial food system, mm-hmm. being able to survive and in fact like thrive for as much as there are some really big issues with it, we can't deny that there are however many billion people on the planet and we most of us are like, Eating, to some degree, so
3: it's kind of amazing yeah. that
2: there are seeds that are that that can be that transferable. Um, and I think of it similarly to people, where you can take a person and just about any person, put them in a different ecosystem and a different culture, and most of us will figure out how to thrive. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it might not be our first choice, but yeah. But I'd love to send you some seeds, and you can tell me exactly how and to do. You,
0: yeah. uh, yeah, perfect. Well, I'd, I'd, I'll i take them. Um, so I've got some actual seed education questions for you. Because uh, there, there always needs to be more clarity around, say, GMOs. What's the story of GMO seeds? Uh,
2: the story of GMOs is that we have an industrial food system. So our seeds reflect industrial needs rather than human needs. And the story of uh, GMOs goes back to the 70s and basically looking at chemical corporations, seeing that seed has, as a commodity, has a great deal of potential for profit. So you see companies like Monsanto, I love. Uh, A number of years ago I was in a thrift store and saw this Better Home and Gardens magazine from 19... 58 and I picked it up flipping through it and I saw this great big full page centerfold advertisement for Monsanto Mm -hmm. and they were like we're everywhere taking care of you amazing advertisement and so if you see this 1950s housewife in her dainty little skirt and in her high heels and she's cleaning her kitchen and everything is sparkling and there are all these little bubbles it's like we're in your ceiling we're in the linoleum on your floor we're in your counters we're in your cleaners and we are we're we're feeding your house plants and there's like all of these perfect geraniums outside on her windowsill and they're taking care of us
3: They've got hmm.
2: nothing about seeds or plants this was before Monsanto was just, it was just a chemical corporation.
3: Yeah. It
2: was a seed. It didn't buy out another, it didn't buy out all the hundreds of seed companies that it merged with at that point. And so as these chemical corporations and Dow and Bayer, like there are all these other, it's a pretty traditional thread um, for chemical companies to have bought up seed companies. So, all these chemical companies are buying up seeds, and they're like, how can we do what we do even better? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) How about we grow seeds with chemicals? And the great chemical of the last few decades, of course, glyphosate, Roundup. Oh, yes. Pretty freaking brilliant. Who wants to deal with weeds? Spray it, and you have no weeds. Yeah. And what happens when you have... Hundreds, if not thousands, thousands of acres of a crop, and you don't—the crop will grow, but the weeds won't grow. Mm-hmm. That is a business plan. So you can basically look at GMOs as this brilliant idea of the chemical corporations that bought seed corporations and brought the two together in a brilliant way, and they're inserting genes from other species into our into our agricultural crops and conferring incredible resilience resistance that is actually the most it's like have you ever played Jenga where yeah. you're taking out the pegs and then putting them on top and then keeping going, keep going, keep going, keep going and then you just you don't even know how it's standing. Everything right. is so vertical. And that is, think of that as a GMO. (laughs) So literally, there's horizontal resistance versus horizontal resistance. And vertical, you're just stacking all of your, you're hedging all of your bets on that single genome. And that is GMOs. Yeah. That is like, there's just that one single gene that is, that everything is, is in the balance of. And so... Thank goodness life evolves. So in the meantime, you know all of these insects and all of these fungal and bacterial diseases, um, and in fact these weeds themselves are evolving past the resistance to BT, the resistance to roundup. And so it's this incredible I think of it as this wheel that the rat is constantly spinning on, and the faster the rat runs, the faster uh-huh. the wheel has. In. And so we're just asking the wrong questions The wrong questions Over and over and faster and faster And, I mean, it, and there's a thousand other things that I could say About GMOs But it's important to realize that you know, I mean, there are, There's no potential For a GMO to thrive In a system that is actually based on ecology And mm-hmm. actually based on a planet changing and evolving, yeah. they are by nature from so static, and they will will never win. And they cost millions of dollars to create. If we were yeah. able to invest all of those resources into classical plant breeding and creating that horizontal resistance, mm-hmm. we would live in a really different world. Yeah. Let me count the ways. Well, let's and go of to. I'd love to hear more, but
0: let's go to the other side of that. How that coin and talk about heirloom seeds what are they and yeah
2: awesome yeah so here's the way that i think about it i think of seeds in general as as books and genetics in general as language and it's really amazing that we have books from when gutenberg was you know first creating books five six hundred years ago mm-hmm. and how wonderful that we've been writing books ever since. And, and it's really amazing and super important that we continue to write books today. And so heirlooms, think of heirloom varieties of seeds as books that are simply over five, 50 years old. Ah. Um, that, and so they, have, they initially, every single variety of anything, was a brand new introduction at some point and no one had ever heard of it, no one had ever tasted it, but someone said, hey, look at what I've got, whether it was intentional or not intentional, and they shared it, and they shared those seeds, and then other people saved and shared those seeds, and generally heirlooms also have a cultural story along with them, because genetics has really, has been bioregional for 10,000 years, until a century ago, Uh so by nature a lot of our heirlooms have these really rich cultural stories um, that go along with the place they've been saved for generations.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: But the technical definition of an heirloom is simply a variety of seed whose seed can be saved, an open-pollinated variety um, that has been saved for 50 years or more. So I like to say that um, I, I save heirloom seeds, and I'm also developing new varieties that will be, you know, heirlooms for my great-grandchildren
0: there you go Uh, (laughs) so you you use the word open pollinated can you tell us what that is
2: yeah so think of think of a whole field of sunflowers and all of those sunflowers are crossing their pollen is being shed and all of these all of the other parts of the Every every sunflower is receiving pollen from every other sunflower. And there's wind involved. There's insects involved. And when you save those seeds of those sunflowers, they will look more or less just like their parent sunflowers.
0: Right. Uh-huh.
2: And so there's a... But if you have lots of different kinds of sunflowers all in one field, they'll all be crossing. And the children, those next seeds that you save will... Um, look like a mixture of all of those not exactly like their parents um, so that all heirloom seeds are open pollinated and all seeds on the planet are open pollinated about 100 years ago um, some very brilliant people realized that if you take two open pollinated lines and begin and like, select them very strongly for certain characteristics and then cross
3: them. Uh-huh.
2: That first generation cross, your F1 hybrid, um, will have totally unique characteristics unto itself, oh. separate from what its parents look like. Mm-hmm. And that they'll be incredibly uniform if you did your job of selecting your parents good enough. And so it's a pretty brilliant, a pr- totally brilliant, um, and totally natural biological strategy. Um, and and so and seed companies also realize that oh if people can't save the seed they'll have to buy it from us every year so we should really invest in this kind of seed saving and Mm -hmm. seed development and the thing is you can save seeds with natural hybrids they just don't look true to type that those children will look pretty different from their parents and sometimes wildly different from their parents <laughs> which is good news and bad news yeah. everything, nothing is purely good or bad the bad news is if you're actually hoping to save feed that's exactly like the parents, you're really out of luck <laughs> and the great news is if you're a plant breeder and want to play and come up with brand new varieties that the world has never seen you have a playground.
0: I was going to say you're really in luck, right?
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: Yeah, you're really in luck. Yeah. Cool. So I want to know what your favorite seed story is since you've started this game.
2: Oh, wow. You know, there's a lot of them. What a wonderful question. I wish we could do this every week and I could tell you a story (laughs) a week. Um, I'm incredibly fond of this pepper called habanada. Ah. So habanada is the heatless habanero. Oh wow! Which some people say, heatless habanero. What is the point? Uh-huh. And I wish I had one in my pocket so that I could feed one to everybody that I meet, and certainly everyone that asked me that question, uh-huh. and they would instantly understand. And anyone that loves chilies understands. Like, there's all this incredible flavor, mm-hmm. all this incredible flavor to chilies beyond the heat. But often, so many of us, and in fact, I'm very sensitive to heat, and at different points I've had I've had less sensitivity, so I've been able to explore more and right. taste more. Um, and I love that like, there's all this rich flavor and depth, this complexity. It's often, like, sometimes it's rich and tropical fruit, mm-hmm. sometimes it's raisin, and sometimes it's like, Cherry or port, and there's all this amazing flavor in a chili pepper that isn't just searing heat. And so the habanero has all of these incredibly tropical, sweet flavor, like like pineapples and tangerines, all like incredible in a flavor. Yeah, in a pepper. Yeah. But wow. it's masked. It's masked by this intense heat. And so Michael Mazurek. Cornell University, organic plant breeder, one of the most brilliant people and hilarious people and humble people on the planet, mm-hmm. um, has been playing with habaneros for well over a decade. And he loves chilies, but also wanted to play if he could like, just select for a habanero that didn't have the heat, but had all the rest of that incredible flavor. And he did it. And he's also hilarious, I mentioned, so he calls it habanada, as in like nada, zil zero, ah.
3: as in habanero,
2: so habanada. Yeah, I got so it. So this is the heatless habanero. And another piece of the story that I love about this is that it doesn't fit a typical slot that a seed company would have. And it needs to germinate five degrees warmer than an average pepper needs to germinate. Uh So all the seed companies that he's ever worked with and invited to taste and invited to offer Habanada for years and years and years, he's been trying to find in vain a company that would be excited and offer Habanada. And because it didn't fit these very industrial standards for what makes a seed that a seed company can offer, Uh it didn't already have a skew in a supermarket, (laughs) it didn't already have a place in their catalog that they could replace something else with, and it didn't technically meet the USDA germplasm standards for classic germination. Uh And so it had all of these little hiccups that prevented it from being shared with the world Mm -hmm. years ago and so here comes fruition seeds and we're this little seed company in the finger lakes and we think regional adaptation is important but we're all about flavor and eating and organic systems and so we meet michael and he's like you guys check out this pepper and we taste this pepper and we and matthew and i looked at each other like what else are we doing with our lives Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I, we and we freeze so many quarts of this pepper mm. and we still haven't gotten to the point where we've frozen enough to satisfy yeah. as many as we'd like to eat in the do you sell the, the seeds and we do oh we my do. gosh so we so michael you know and he told us this whole story of how no, and and it goes so much deeper. Like yet, yeah, there's so he learned so much of what we know about peppers and the modern pepper genome. He like did his PhD like, looking at peppers and creating habanada, and and he just has this amazing. It has habanada is this incredible poster child for classical plant breeding and how we can look at modern techniques of looking at genomes, but not messing with the genome. Yeah, and. And but no seed company was ever going to pick it up because seed companies are so antiquated. Yeah. And so here's this little like who's ever heard of fruition seeds? it's like, We don't care. We freaking love this. <laughs> nice. And what you've developed is for organic systems and the less nutrition it gets, the more produce it creates. Like, this is insane, Michael. And so we offer the seeds and share Exactly, all the details that people need to know to be successful as home gardeners and yeah. as farmers growing its seed with its with its liabilities that would make a large seed company um, cringe cringe to yeah. offer it. <laughs> And and it's awesome. I mean, it was written up in in Food and Wine last year, and you know Dan Barber, the chef at Blue Hill at Stone Barns, he just you know just simply puts it on a plate. And it's a mind blowing pepper. So I'd love to share other stories with you another time. But nice. episode one, is
0: all right, so, so fruitionseeds.com. Which seed am I looking for? Because I want to I want a packet of those.
2: Just look up habanada, you can look at either in the vegetables uh, and then. Scroll down to Pepper, or you can yeah. find the little magnifying glass, the little search box, yep. and type in Habanada, H-A-B-A-N-A-D-A.
0: Organic Habanada sweet snacking pepper. <laughs>
2: <laughs> How cool is that? It's even fun to method. say. Go ahead. <laughs> Another critical piece of knowing and loving and enjoying Habanada to the fullest is that eat the membrane. Eat the seeds. Eat the whole thing. It's this little pepper. It's similarly shaped to a habanero. So it's not a huge pepper. Mm-hmm. Eat the whole thing. Pop it all in your mouth, and a lot of the flavor in a pepper is in, especially in a hot pepper. Is it's actually in the, seeds. in the yes, in yeah. the seeds and in the membrane. And I mean, don't get me wrong. As a seed company, <laughs> we take out the seeds so that we can put them in packets and share them with you. Yeah. We still keep all of the peppers, even though
0: we're giving oh, away nice. those delicious seeds.
2: <laughs> um, but ever, every time I actually, I indulge myself and put an entire habanada in my mouth, seeds and flesh, membrane and all, oh, and yeah. I'm so grateful. Sweet.
0: Sweet. Well, I'm going to shift on you, and I want to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it.
2: What a wonderful question. There are several things that immediately come to mind. Um, the first one, actually, let me look at the calendar. Wow, the anniversary. Ah, So we have coming to fruition day uh-huh. in our lives. We have a celebration calendar. And... And no and January twenty fourth is coming to fruition day. And so in January two thousand thirteen we had just started fruition at the end of two thousand twelve. So we were just beginning the planning for our first growing season. And fruition seeds right out of the gate, my passion and is like local seeds and then on local regional food systems. Uh-huh. And so I wanted to be the food company that only offered seed that we grew. And Wow. I was doing all of which sounds like most people are like, what? Isn't that what seed companies do? And most seed companies are simply distribution companies. They're not actually growing. So it's a pretty radical thing to be right. a seed company that grows your own seed. And so I'm doing, you know, crunching all these numbers and creating a crop plan and crunching even more numbers. And I burst into tears on January 24th, 2000, 24th 2013. And I said, Matthew, there's no way we will ever make a living doing this, growing our own seed. Like, there's... And I'm amazingly good at making do with very little money Uh but like there's just no way that we are that we will be a successful seed company if we grow if we unless we buy in seed and I just burst into tears Uh (laughs) like what do we do now and we had this amazing conversation and about an hour later Um, we were laughing and still crying and we were so excited because we realized that the core value of us wanting to be a seed company that only offered our own seed was because we wanted to be transparent about where our seed came from. Yeah. And we wanted to be ethical and honest about where our seed came from. Yeah. And I hadn't until that moment considered that, it was kind of it was really black and white for me. Either we are growing all our own seed or we're just a distributor. And I clearly don't want to be a distributor, so we're growing all our own seed. And then we came to that precipice, fell off the precipice, <laughs> and on our way down realized that, of course, the world isn't black and white, and there's lots of shades of gray and of
3: transparency
2: yeah. and, and honesty and regional adaptation is our first and foremost priority that there are actually a number of other extraordinary seed growers. Not many, but they exist here in the Northeast. And so if we can buy seeds from these other organic seed growers in the Northeast, we'll be able to offer more variety we'll be able to and in the mean and we'll be able to make a living selling these seeds and in the meantime we're actually supporting these other people who are growing organic seeds and we're collaborating with these other people and so it was this it was the most hilarious like hour of my life of being a seven-year dream flat on its face what do I even do now? (laughs) And then an hour later, so that's why we call January 24th coming to fruition day Um, because (laughs) that's when fruition really came to fruition. Fruition. And it's been a joy to continue to meet more and more people who are doing this extraordinary work and to do it together because there's no way that any of us could do it alone. And certainly I wouldn't want to
0: that's the important piece the collaboration absolutely so what do you consider your biggest success?
2: oh that's fun I think to be entirely honest that I have employees that come to work every day that are smiling Mm -hmm. and give themselves so self the fruition seeds and that I every day jumped out of bed and am so excited to just get up and do it again yeah. and hope that I get to do it another day um, but to be offering opportunities to other people to share in this work and to be successful enough that I can respect and support people not only through inspiration and through Education, and not only through just great resilient seeds um, and collaboration, but through actual dollars, paying them to grow and learn and become their best and highest selves. Yeah. Uh, in mm-hmm.
3: the context
2: of a seed company, uh, wow, it's an extraordinary privilege, and so uh, giving, making this fruition seeds family. A really viable, vital, and ever-growing, and yet really human-scale operation, and is beautiful. One of many successes, but perhaps the most important one.
0: Yeah, I I hear deep gratitude in that.
2: Mm, It's true. I couldn't do it without them and wouldn't want to. It's so much fun. Yeah,
0: no kidding. <laughs> so what drives you?
2: I love to eat, to be honest. Uh-huh. And I love to share food with people that I love. And so all the time, I people ask me, like, why seeds? Why seeds? And it's really because seeds grow into things that I eat. And eating is just a whole lot of fun with people that I love yeah. and and the deep magic in all of that that perhaps drives and fuels the, the conversations I mean, like the deep gratitude of sharing meals with people that I love is that we can do it again and again with seeds that we can save yeah. and that future generations can save and that people all around the country and all over the world can begin to regionally adapt to their mm-hmm. own Their own needs. And so the magic, the simultaneous, like this joy in the present moment of sharing something so exquisite with people that I adore, paired with knowing that it can all happen again and again and again, and that that's what seeds and life on earth does Mm -hmm. um, at its best.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Beautifully said. Good feeling. Beautifully Why, said. Thank you. So I'm all about education, and I have to know: is there a book that has been influential for you in this process in your life?
2: Yeah, I recommend poems.
0: Oh, nice! All right.
2: <laughs> My, uh, I have many, many marvelous poets that I would love to recommend, but um, I'd like to recommend two to you this evening. One being the ancient Sufi poet, Rumi, Mm. um, and the other being the Palestinian-American poet, Naomi Shihab Nye. And I cannot recommend, in terms of more practical seed education, John Navazio wrote The Organic Seed Grower Mm. a few years ago. And it is a beautiful book. It is also an exceedingly practical book and it's also very entertaining to read and it is full of very practical information as well as like, deep, rich kind of laying the framework for why this is important as well as like the part that I use the most all the time is you know, just seed-borne disease he has this oh, amazing yes. glossary in the back yeah. and so it's really comprehensive, it's not just Oh, here's what you should keep in mind to save a seed of lettuce. Like, how can you go down that that wormhole? And <laughs> and, and it's really so. John Navasio, the organic seed grower, nice. essential reading for anyone saving seed saving on seeds. any level. Yeah,
0: perfect. So, what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
2: If it's not fun and if it's not delicious, <sighs> at least eighty percent of the time, it's mm-hmm. just. Oh, worth it and try it from another angle
0: yeah be happy i tell people i tell people all the time i have a choice when i get up every morning to have fun and be happy or not
2: i'll take happy and the fun yeah. you're right yeah. every time and it's there are definitely times when it's hard and that's why i try to be gentle with myself Eighty percent of the time, I want to be having fun <laughs> yeah. and and surrounding myself with people that remind me how to sing again and remind me how to smile again. Yeah. I'm so grateful to be part of Beautiful. a wide community of people, yeah. and now you're included, and
0: I'm so grateful. Well, thank you, thank you. Right back at you. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us on this show and sharing your experience with us today, Petra. It has been a treat getting to chat with you.
2: My absolute pleasure and huge privilege. Don't be shy.
0: <laughs> so how can our listeners get a hold of you?
2: I have an email, Petra, P-E-T-R-A, at com. I also have a website that's full of not only awesome varieties that you can grow with tons of seed saving information Mm -hmm. and lots of fun youtube videos and some very silly songs about seed saving and growing organic food in general um and you can also stop by our farm we have a beautiful farm and a beautiful farmhouse that has a beautiful kitchen and plenty of places for people to lay their heads and i really love it when people um, stop by and yeah. say hi And spend some time So I, I invite you all To you know, check out our website And use it as a resource And to email me Anytime um, you have Questions or inspirations Or find your new favorite poet And I Of course would love to see you If you're ever in the northeast Ever in the Finger Lakes
3: mm-hmm.
2: Ever in Naples um, Consider Does our it- farm a place to come
0: Day. perfect that's fruition f-r-u-i-t-i-o-n seeds.com and you can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org backslash fruition seeds well that's it for today thanks for joining us on the urban farm podcast did you know the best seeds for your garden don't come from the nursery In fact, the seeds that will create the most robust and delicious fruits and vegetables come directly from your garden. This is because they are uniquely adapted to your growing conditions better than anything you can buy from a fancy catalog or website. Through the magic of seed saving, it is quite possible to have the garden of your dreams. The best part is saving your own seeds is surprisingly easy and fun. With a bit of instruction, anyone can become a seed-saving superstar. Let us teach you how in our free seed-saving webinar. Just text SEEDS to 33444 to sign up or visit SeedSavingHacked.org for more information. That's SEEDS to 33444 or visit SeedSavingHacked.org.